are in a, a, a series called Kingdom Culture from Colossians. So I'm going to be reading from Colossians 3, starting in verse 18. So if you want to get your Bibles, we're going to be in Colossians 3, starting in verse 18. It says, Wives, submit to yourselves to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Oh, I've lost my place. There we go. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Well, I think this is a great place to turn it over to Tom, because that seems like a hard passage. So I'm going to go ahead and do that. (laughs) So, for some strange reason, Rachel read that passage and said, with an American directness, she said, I am not speaking on that, so there you go. (laughs) So, so, um, we thought, well, what do we do? Do we we skip over it, you know, just kind of like pretend it's not there? And we thought... Well, Rachel thought, nah, let's, let's, let's do a deep dive. And then she said, you need to do it because I'm not doing it. So there you go. Um, so we are, we're looking, as Rachel said, kingdom culture. And Rachel has got an amazing message that she's going to do in a little bit. So you don't get to set out completely about what does it mean to live differently. And so we thought, verse 18, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eyes on you, and to curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. So we thought, well, why not? Let's, 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 let's speak about this. What is it, what is it what the Holy Spirit is saying? What, do we, what was... What was St. Paul saying? What did St. Paul mean when he wrote that to the church in Colossae? I think there's a question for us, which Rachel is going to unpack uh, in more detail, but what does it live, mean to live differently? I've been thinking about what does it mean to move in the opposite spirit? If you were here last week, um, a guy called Richard England spoke to us, and he talked about the kind of time that we find ourselves living in this this, this season where we are, uh, it seems that the, the news just gets worse. And so we find ourselves living in an anxious age. And so the question, he, he posed us, what does it mean to be a non-anxious presence? And I think the Apostle Paul is writing to a time in a culture which was incredibly complicated. And in particular, there was a, an issue around what, what uh, German theologians, and I'm going to pronounce the German, I don't speak German, so I'm just going to apologise right now. So if there are some German speakers in, I'm, just, I'm going to butcher it, okay? Let's just be super honest. But it's called Hustafel, and it means household code. 
And so what we have to bear in mind when we're thinking about this is Paul is writing to a context where every household, not just family, not just kind of um, two kids uh, and parents or whatever it might be, or three, five, whatever it kids, but a household is a whole group of people. It is, it is blood relatives, it is children that have been adopted in, it is slaves all living under one roof. But the key focus, the key character was the father or the pater. And this household code was known as pater familias. And the pater, the father, uh, was, was expected to rule his household with an absolute rod of iron. He was expected to exercise power, and he could use all kinds of power. He could use violence. It's very, very common for the pater to use violence. Because he, the, the, the thinking was that the children, the slaves, and his wife were his possession. Now, if we were to go into uh, the centre of Sheffield, or, or if we're going to stand outside one of the universities with a megaphone and read these passages of Scripture out. In fact, Alan Lamb is going to demonstrate that to us later, folks. He's going to, are we going to, no, I'm joking, I'm joking. We talked about... Um, I get that we get some feedback. It, um, in fact, if you were to put it on social media, no doubt you'd be blocked. Uh, you'd find yourself... Uh, all kinds of controversy would surround you very, very quickly. No doubt at all. And these passages of Scripture are, are difficult for us to, to hear in Sheffield in 2023. And if we're brutally honest, uh, we, may have pe- we may know people who interpret these passages very, very differently to us. And if we're honest, we may have been on the receiving end or in churches where these passages of Scripture have been used as an oppressive tool, not bringing life and love and good things. So we have to own that moment. So what does it mean to live differently? And here's the thing, the, 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 the Apostle Paul, as we've talked about as we've journeyed through Colossians, is one of the, the key things which hangs a lot of what the Apostle Paul says is this, we are in Christ. It means we're in him, and if we're in him, he's in us. It means there has, a, a, an exchange has happened, our, 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 we are becoming like his son Jesus. And so Paul is writing to this church. He's talked about what it is to be as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. He's, he's talked about what it is to have compassion, kindness, to bear with one another, to, to allow peace to define our community. And then he says this, this is what it looks like to live as a Christian household. This is what it looks like to live differently in our context. This is what it looks like to live radically different. And I want us to... to, to to point out that it's so easy to skip over these verses or to, or to write them off as offensive without realising the profound, radical standard that Paul is calling the church. And they're easily overlooked and often misunderstood. And this is what he says. In a culture and context where men abuse power, he writes in verse 18, he says this, wives... Okay, first thing he says is he addresses wives. No one addresses wives in this context. 
they, they don't get a mention. They're, 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 they're not seen. You, okay, yes, yeah, sure. Paul plants churches with women. I believe women should speak in the church. I think they have authority to speak in the church. I think that is in the scriptures. There are powerful women, women of means, like Lydia, who plants a church in Philippi, clearly a business leader, clearly a very, very competent, capable leader in her own right, who Paul uses and trains up to plant churches, as are others. Our youngest daughter's called Phoebe. Hey. Phoebe is in a, when Paul, when Paul sends her off to, to read out a letter, she doesn't just hand it to the men, she reads it. She's a leader. And so Paul says, wives, you'd never write to women like this. You'd never write to wives. And he puts them first. And he, then he says, submit. What well, does he mean? Is, he, is, is, is the apostle Paul, is he oppressive of women? Is he a misogynist, as people think he is? He says, submit yourselves to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. No, what he's saying is saying to a Christian community where there is no Greek nor Jew, no slave nor free, men and women. He says there is an equality among you that is totally radically different to the world around you. And this equality you now comes from the fact you're now in Christ. So he says if you're called to submit, it's something that Jesus is doing. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as he's fitting in the Lord. You don't submit to a violent tyrant. You submit to somebody who knows Jesus, and Jesus offers us that way. And then this, he addresses women first, which is radically different. It is pro, Paul is pro-women. He's pro-women in leadership, and that's why he addresses wives first. Then he says this, second, the husbands, they're subservient. It's radical stuff. If, if, you, if you were to receive this, this kind of household code, in this context, it would be so offensive to the power dynamic of the day. And then he says this, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Okay, so you think, well, that's really wussy. But it says this, agape, serve your wives. Don't be harsh with them. The context is this. There were stories of husbands. There was one particular story in Colossae where, in the context where a, a, a lady had drunk some wine without the permission of the pater, okay? I, I'm sure that's, you know, Friday night, glass of wine, take the edge off it, whatever it is. He beats her to death because she doesn't have his permission. That's the culture Paul's writing to. There's a, a sociologist called Rodney Stark who wrote about, about the rise of Christianity for the first 300 years. And, they, and he describes excavations in Rome, particularly Roman villas. And in the sewers, they were blocked with the skeletons of girls, tiny babies. It was a, a very well-known infanticide. It's why there were more women in the church than men. It's why adoption was a really key thing in the life of the church, because Christians would rescue girls. And what would happen is the Peter, the Peter would stand over either his wife or a slave that he might have got pregnant, and all kinds of dark things would happen. And if he saw it was a girl, he had the power to say yes or no to life and death. And they would do it in the most grotesque, brutal way, but not the Christians. They lived differently. They moved in the opposite spirit. And so Paul's, Paul says, love your wives, serve your wives. This, this word agape, 
Don't be harsh to them. He, he's saying point to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ does not, he did not come to be served, but he, he came to serve others. Men, husbands, that, that and of course, if Jesus, um, he, he says to wives, you should submit, but he says to, to husbands, your call is to come and die. Isn't that what Jesus did? To serve. He says, love people, serve them. And he says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And then he goes on, verse 20. Again, fathers, men, secondary to children, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. That ch- children are not like, the, the status of children is not like it is now, where children are, are very much given a platform and very much, they were, they were kind of seen and never heard. They were there to do the chores. They were there to do jobs. They were there to work. One of them would take on the pater's role. But they had no place in society like they do now. Fathers could, but the pater could beat them and treat them very, very harshly. And so the Apostle Paul says to fathers, don't use power in that way. Don't be like the culture around you. Don't don't discourage your children. Don't, don't beat them. Don't be violent towards them. Love them. And then he goes on to say, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favour, but with a sincerity of heart, reverence for the Lord. This is, this is very tricky because this passage of Scripture was used to encourage slavery in the south of America. And after slavery was, was finished in the States, it was still used to create unhealthy, toxic power dynamics between people who would want to use control. And the Apostle Paul is speaking into a culture and a context where slavery is part of the, the, the fabric of society, it's the way that work and commerce would work. Does Paul challenge it? No, no, he doesn't challenge. He doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't rise up against it. But what he does say in things that are very hard for us to read in our culture, in our time, because as we know, slavery is terrible. It's a demonic thing. And it's happening right now in the world. It's happening in our own city. It's a terrible, evil thing, and we have to stand against it. And the Apostle Paul is saying in this context, he's saying, if you, are, if you have slaves, then you treat them well. And that was radically different from the culture that is surrounding, which surrounded the people at this time and in this context. The Apostle Paul is saying to, to, that in, in things that are happening in the city that are difficult, Christians are to subvert that culture and to live radically different. That there is an equality in the church when the church gathers in a household, gathered around a table, then there is to be a difference, that women are to be honoured. Then children are to to have a place, they're to be treated respectfully. And that slaves are given a voice that they would not have outside. There is something around when the church meets, it smells and looks like this side of heaven. So folks, when the Apostle Paul, whatever your view, whether you take the complementarian view, 
which is that you, you, you believe that uh, women, yes, submit to their husbands. So I know people who do. I've got members of our family who, who hold that view. Uh, I know a lot of people um, who hold that view, actually. Uh, usually, uh, often the men I know are married to very, very strong women who tell them that's their view, which is, I think, is quite often, <laughs> often quite, find quite funny. Or if you take the egalitarian view, which is you both, that you both submit to one another. The Apostle Paul is talking about the church is the place of mutual submission, where we honour one another, we seek one another's common good for the sake of his kingdom, that we live differently and that we move in the opposite spirit. I think some of these, these scriptures have been used in a variety of ways, often very unhelpfully, but sometimes the context is unknown. And for me, the context is, brings light onto those scriptures and what they mean, but it also says something of the missional call and of the missional heart for us as believers. So the question that I think that we need to reflect on is, is what are the cultural narratives that are coming at us, that are seeking to define us? Maybe it's one of consumption. Like, you know, I, I'm talking about you, but if I, if I use a particular website that has quite got a bit of a global reach, you know, and, it, and, it, and you pay a bit extra for it to come the next day, and when it doesn't come the next day, I get so cross. You know, I want it to come now. When, when, you, when you're watching something on, on Netflix and it's buffering, oh, that annoys me, that does. It's buffering. And when I hear my, 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 the words to my kids, in my day, we only had four channels <laughs> and we were grateful. You know, then I remember the fifth. Well, consumption totally defines our way of life. And that means that we can treat relationships like a commodity. You, we can unfriend people on social media, just block them out. We can cancel people. We, to what extent, I think, in this season, as we embrace the kingdom cultures, what, what are, where are we being defined by culture? And what does it look like for us to live differently? Maybe it's in the fashion choices that we make. Maybe in the, that we want to live responsibly. Maybe it's in the way that we think about the environment. Maybe it's thinking about family and there are people in our church who are passionate about fostering. It's like we want to do something differently. Maybe it's about how we're going to live as we embrace tables. Actually, we are going to allow people we don't know to come join us. Or what does it look like to commit to having people into our home post-pandemic? And that's been a challenge. How are we going to live differently? And how are we going to move in the opposite spirit? And now I'm going to hand over to Rachel Royal. And now, folks, I've just had it confirmed. That is, the, no, keep going. Don't, because I'll keep going otherwise. If you say, I've just had it confirmed by the Guinness Book of Records. That is my shortest ever talk. Well, Tom, thank you for giving me permission to speak. <laughs> thank you, everyone. <laughs> Well, um, as Tom has been talking about, today we're going to be talking about living differently. And uh, this is a topic that I really, really relate to because having moved here from a different country, I live differently every day, okay? So I want you to picture the scene, all right? You are in a grocery store in America, all right? Now, you have gone to the baking aisle, right? And you are going to see, and I want you to imagine just all of the cake mixes, okay? the cookie mixes, the brownie mixes, all right? Now, it is autumn, right? So you are going to see pumpkin spice cake, 
pumpkin spice cookies, maple pecan cookies, you know, all of these different options, okay? Now I want you to picture that you've just gone up the road to Sainsbury's, all right? And you're going to go to the baking aisle. I mean, sorry, the baking section of an aisle, okay? And I want you to just picture what you're going to see there, all right? And how many cake mixes do you think you're going to see? One. <laughs> and it's probably vanilla, all right? No, no pumpkin spice, you know? So in the way that I bake has become very different. I have to make everything from scratch, which, you know, does taste better. But sometimes I just want something that took me two minutes to put together and dump in something, you know? So that is just a small way. But there's all, all, all different types of ways that my life has changed and that I live differently. For example, my speech has changed, you know? I no longer say things are amazing or fantastic or hilarious, you know? You go to a restaurant, it was really good. You say, yeah, it was all right. It's quite good. <laughs> You know, I get to know somebody, right? Going on, you know, go for coffee with somebody or something, you know? I don't tell them my deepest, darkest secrets on the second time. I can never tell them that here. Nobody wants to know that. <laughs> Even in the way that I've been saying in America, right, is a very British phrase. If we were actually there, we would say in the U.S., in the States, we would never say we're in America. It's just not the phrase we use. Now, these are all funny examples of how I have learned to live differently. But we as Christians are all called to live differently. Wherever you find yourself, whether that's in a marriage, whether that's parenting, whether that's in friendships, as an employee, we are all called to live differently. And that is why we have named this series Kingdom Culture. We're talking about ways in which we can all talk and be able to live differently and be able to live more like Jesus, living in his kingdom. Now, I don't know about you. This talks about wives, husbands, children, fathers, slaves, masters. I don't know how many of those things are applicable to you. You might be a wife. You might be a husband. You might be a parent. But we are all children, and therefore, this is applicable to each and every single one of us. This whole section is about households, and it, can be, it is about our closest relationships. And I want to talk about one way that we can live differently. And this is in the work that we do to the Lord. I hope that person is okay. <laughs> so, uh, my mom the other day, I was talking on FaceTime with her. That's another thing that's changed in my life. I now talk to my entire family on FaceTime, which is great. Uh, and so I was on the FaceTime with my mom the other day, and she was talking about one of her friends who was, was talking to her. And she was saying that there's this person, um, this friend of hers, that every time, you know, her husband has left his clothes out on the ground again, he, she always says, I'm doing this for the Lord. Or, for example, maybe she's picking up after her kids for the 17th time that day, right? She says, I'm doing this for the Lord. Or maybe it's the boss that finally sends you, you know, sends you a last-minute thing that you have to do right before five. I'm doing this for the Lord. Now, I don't think, you know, she's probably doing it in the best attitude, right? But I think there is something that is really key here, that we're doing this for the Lord. I think in our culture, it is very much about people-pleasing, doing things for others, doing things to please others. But here he's talking about doing things to please the Lord. So in verses 22 to 24, it says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. 
Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And in the verses just before the ones we read today, in verse 17, it says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So here twice in just a few verses, he's talking about working at, doing and working and living for the Lord. Now our culture tells you to please others. He says to do well in school so that way you please your parents and you please your teachers. Do well in work so your boss will promote you. Do well in your relationships so other people will be nice to you and they'll think you're great. For example, maybe working diligently only when your boss is watching. Doing acts of kindness just to impress others. Wanting an upfront role in, in church or maybe even in your job so that others will notice you. And I don't know about you, but I can easily fall into this trap. I want to tell you about a reason how I know that I'm falling into this trap. For example, say I'm making dinner, okay, and I've, you know, spent about, you know, 30, 45 minutes. I mean, not every day, let's be honest, right? But let's say I've, I've made this giant, this really good meal, right? I've, I've spent my time, I've, you know, over the hot stove, right? It's taken me ages. I've made this whole meal, right? And then James says one thing against it, and I'm like, how dare you? <laughs> and I take it really personally. And I think that is a way that I know in my heart that I'm not doing something for the Lord, that I'm doing it to please him, right? Because when he says one thing against it that he didn't really like, or maybe, you know, that something got slightly burnt, you know? <laughs> Thanks, Tom. <laughs> he, I take it really, really, really personally. Or for example, in work, right? I plan, I, one of the things I do here is plan events. So at Make Room Tables launch, right? Let's be honest, it was really chaotic, okay? Way more people came than we thought we were going to, and it was really chaotic. And to be honest, as people were talking about how chaotic it was and sending emails about how chaotic it was, I was like, oh my goodness, I failed here, you know? And I'm taking it really, really personally. And that is the moment that I know I'm doing this to please others, and I'm not doing this to please the Lord. When my worth and my value comes from what other people are saying, I know that I'm doing it to please others. When we do when we do things for the Lord, our worth and our value comes from him. And he says that we are enough before we've done anything. And that is the most freeing thing, that we do not have to earn it, that we are enough simply because we're his. And he says, he talks about the same thing um, in the, the Pharisees. This is something that Jesus talks about, um, he, and he holds against the Pharisees. And in Matthew 6, he talks about people giving when they're praying, when they're fasting. And the Pharisees were doing all of these different things to please others, to impress everyone around them. And Jesus calls them out for it. He tells them to do it in secret, to give to the needy, and not even to let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. He talks about when they're praying to go into a secret room, talks about when they're fasting to wash your face and look like you're just fine. And all of this he's saying, and he's going after their heart posture. So where is your heart? When you're doing things, are you doing it so you can please all the people around you, or are you doing it for the Lord? This whole area or section in the Bible is called Instructions for Christian Households in my Bible. And the family unit is a really important place. 
it molds us. I remember doing our, pre, um, our pre-marriage counseling, and we, were, we had to fill out this whole survey, right? And it was like, um, who you expect to do different, like, household t- t- tasks, and then who did it in your family? So, for example, like, dishes, and I put, you know, my dad. So who was going to do it? James, you know? <laughs> and all these different things. And it was really interesting because, basically, what I thought was going to happen in my marriage was what I saw modeled in the marriage that I saw in my parents, So our home and our family life is something that molds us, and that's why this is so important. Paul here is talking about maturity of faith, and it starts in our home. And may it be out of the overflow of love that we have for the Lord that we overflow that love to the people that are around us, to our close relationships. I don't know about you, but sometimes our home and my family is the people that see the worst side of us, right? the frustrations, the anger, right? But let us take a a part of this chapter and let us learn from what Paul is saying that we would work for the Lord and that out of the overflow of our love for him, we overflow our love to those in our homes. Our whole lives are a service to him. Not just the Sunday's bit, not just the Christian bits, but every single thing that we do can be a work for him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are the God who sees us. And thank you that you declare us worthy, that you declare us enough before we ever do anything. Lord, thank you that every single relationship in our life, every single thing that we do is an opportunity to glorify you, an opportunity to bring glory to your name. Lord, thank you for the families that you put us in, the homes that you put us in. And whether that is a challenging thing or an easy thing, Lord, I pray that we would do everything that we can to bring glory to your name through it, to work for you. Lord, I just pray that right now that you would reveal to us the moments and the areas of our lives where we are doing things to impress others or to please others and not to please you. Lord, I pray that our entire lives, every part of it, would be a sacrifice to you. Thank you, Lord, that you are worthy of all the praise and all the honor and all the glory. In your name we pray. Amen.